There's a, there's a few famous tombstones in the world. One that always sticks out to me is uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s. His says on the back of it, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty I am free at last. There's one in Switzerland that's probably more famous because it's been around a whole lot longer. It belongs to a man named Wilhelm. We don't know his last name. It's been there that long. Uh, Wilhelm was a, a, a mountain guide in the Alps. And whenever people would come to the village he was located in and, and want to climb the Swiss Alps, they would seek out this man, Wilhelm. He would come the most highly recommended. His whole life was about guiding people up and down that mountain. Well, one day there was a party of climbers that had begun in a storm. Well, it wasn't a storm when they began, but it came quickly after. And they had no guide with them. And Wilhelm received word of it. He didn't think twice. He began ascending the mountain to go and rescue them. He didn't make it. They found him weeks later, frozen solid in a, in a crevice of the rock. And the man had been so inspirational to so many people that they wanted to make sure that there was a, a tombstone, a marker where he laid. And so they, they put one there, and it has his name, and it says Wilhelm, and it has this one moniker. It says, he died climbing. That was all they needed. Brothers and sisters, may that be said of you, that you died climbing. We don't want to die at the base camp. We don't want to die walking backward down the mountain. We don't want to die because we went astray. We want to die climbing. There are three kind of things going on here. This is, this is all about this climb, this upward climb. We sing uh, on higher ground this morning, right? That is a picture of the Christian life. Paul uses a number of different analogies to describe the Christian life. In one place, he describes it as, as a boxer who's fighting and who's training. You know, I don't want to live my life as one who's beating the air, but I want to win the battle. He uses the, the idea of a wrestler. We wrestle, we wage war against not people, not flesh and blood, but demons against Satan, against the forces of evil. He uses the analogy most often, though, of a runner and of a race. And that's the one he has here. And he's saying, you need to run. You need to finish your race. You need to obtain perfection. Not that you will this side of glory. See, you don't attain perfection until your race is over. But you are always ascending the mountain if you are going to walk with Christ. That is the goal. And so he gives us three things here. The first is he gives us a reason to seek sanctification. He gives us a reason to seek, seek sanctification. That'll be in verse 12. And then he gives us this secret to perseverance in the Christian life. How to do it. And that will be verses 13 and 14. And then finally... He tells us the proper mindset that we need. You know, if you know any runners, you know that they're a different breed, right? These people who run marathons, do they know that they don't have to? <laughs> yeah, we, we tease, we, uh, we quote verses that say things like, uh, the wicked flee when no one pursues them. You know, and so that's why I don't run, right? But this is no joke. 
We have a reason to run our race. And so we're going to begin there. Let's take a look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. One more time. Not that I have already obtained it, excuse me, obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He gives us a reason to seek sanctification. Sanctification is the growth in holiness. He uses this word perfection here, not that I am already perfect. The word means complete. It means finished. So he's saying, I am not complete. I am not done. God is not done with me yet. This is so significant. We have churches all around us who teach the opposite of what Paul is saying here. Now get this. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the one who the Lord met on the road to Damascus. Apostle Paul was taught spiritually in heaven by Christ himself. He did more for the gospel than anyone else. Took it, you know, what what does it say? From uh, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. He was the uttermost parts guy. He took it from Samaria to the rest of the world. I mean, as far away as Spain. And he's saying, I'm not finished. So how is it then that we have churches who teach that? There was a thing called the holiness movement in the late 1800s. And they believed in this notion of Christian perfection. That there was this second ministry of grace. That you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you did, you would become perfect. You would have no more sin because original sin would be just erased from you. And so you'd never sin again. Paul's saying, "Uh uh-uh. I haven't been perfected. In 1 John it says, if we say that we do not sin, we are a liar. And the truth is in us. So brothers and sisters, if you encounter folks who would tell you that they do not sin, they are a liar. And the truth is not in them. They do not understand. There is no perfection this side of glory. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. We are not there yet. Not one of us is there yet. To the day you are born in Christ, until the day that he calls you into glory, you are on an upward climb and you are not there yet. You've not attained it yet. You know when you will? When you grab hold of Jesus' feet in glory. When you see him as he truly is, then you will be made like him. There will be no more sin. But this, this process, it requires effort. There is no such thing as a Christian who grows in holiness who grows in Christ by simply sitting. It doesn't happen. You think about a runner. It would not be wise for a runner to train for a marathon by sitting in a seat all day, right? The fact is you got to get out and you got to run. There's nothing for it but to do it. There's nothing for the Christian life but to live it and to live it in Christ. He says here, I press on to make it my own. I press on this, this word means to relentlessly, doggedly pursue. I will not stop. I will not be stopped. No matter the obstacles in life, 
No matter my own sin, no matter my struggles, no matter death, no matter life, no matter people attacking me, no matter the enemy attacking me, I will press on to make it my own. What is the it? Sanctification. I will press on to become more like Christ. I will press on to have more of Christ in my life and in my person. Get this, guys. If we say that we want to be holy, we want to be more like him, we can't do it for ourselves. We can't do it so that we, we simply we don't have any more struggles or that so people will think well of us. Our motivation, the one motivation is to have more of Christ, to make him our own, to know him more, to have greater fellowship and affection and community and communion with him. I press on to make it my own. I want to be more like him. I want to see him as he is. I want to be an example. I want to be a light I want to show people the power of Jesus' resurrected life that he can transform a sinner, a worm like me. Day by day, from glory to glory. I press on to make it up my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is the motive. This is, this is the number one thing. It, it, we're not there yet. It's going to require tremendous effort. We've, we've got to have some stick to itness that God has to give. But the motive is for Christ because Christ has made me his own. I'm his. He sees me. God sees me through his son. I want to live up to that calling. You know, sanctification is this already and this not yet. You've heard me talk about that a lot. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, then you are already holy. You're already sanctified because you're seen under the blood of Jesus Christ. And yet you are not yet. So part of this, at least this idea of I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own is he is worthy. And I want to live up to the calling. I want to look like the one that God looks at me like. Ever heard the expression, I want to be the man that my dog thinks I am? I want to be the Christian that God thinks I am. God the Father sees me in the blood of his son. He says, you're perfect. You're sinless. There's no charge against you. You're innocent. You're blameless. You're righteous. I want to live that. I want people to see Christ in me as God sees Christ in me. I want people to see Christ in you as God sees Christ in you. We're not there yet, brothers and sisters. We can't be content sitting on the sideline. Our motive is Christ for his glory, for his goodness, to know him more. If that is not enough, then nothing is enough. If Christ is not enough to motivate you to pray for sanctification, to persevere when things are tough, to press on toward the upward goal, then nothing will ever be enough. 
he moves on and he tells us the secret to this. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He has this, this secret. What, Paul, what's the secret to your training? Paul, what's the secret to your success in life? How have you made it 30-some years and you traded everything you had? You traded your honor. You were, you were the Hebrew of Hebrews. You were, you were circumcised the eighth day of, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. As to law, you were a Pharisee. As to righteousness, or as to zeal, you were persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under law, you were blameless. You gave all that up. What's your secret? Paul, you're in prison, and yet you're praising God that you're in prison. What is your secret? How have you gotten so far? Well, it's not that I'm perfect, right? It's not that I've arrived. It's not that I'm a super Christian. That's verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. There's nothing special about me, Paul is saying. But this one thing I do, and you'll do well to know it too. He starts with this. He says, I forget everything that's behind. Horses, horse racing. Do you know what they put on a horse for a horse race? They put blinders. So that horse does not see what's on the sides, and the horse doesn't have any temptation to look behind. So the horse is always looking ahead. Paul saying, I'm like that. I forget what lies behind. Brothers and sisters, whatever lies behind, forget it. Whatever sin you've had, forget it. Whatever loss you've suffered, forget it. Whatever glory or successes you think you've had, whatever the high times were, the, when, when you were on fire for God, when the church was growing, when people were getting saved, when, when you were doing great things, when you saw great things, when, when Billy Graham was on the TV, forget about it. It lies behind. We don't go behind. Don't be distracted. Have blinders on. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it own, but my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Forget your life before Christ. And in many ways, forget your life even before today. Always, always looking ahead. And that's his next thing. He says, and straining forward to what lies behind. This is this race analogy. How do you see a runner? Do runners run like this? Actually, Eric Liddell did, but that's a whole other thing. Um, and he won the Olympics and went on and was, mur- uh, was martyred for Christ. But he's the only one I've ever heard of who ran like this. Everybody runs like this, right? In one way, running is what? It's just falling forward one step at a time. And you know what? And the Christian life is like that too. It's just you falling forward one step at a time and the grace of God keeping you up. You walk by faith and not by sight. If you are going to walk by sight, you won't walk at all. You'll just stand still. You'll be too afraid to climb. The mountain will look too dangerous. The storm that's coming is too severe. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Not only is that literally a picture of falling forward one step at a time, but it's leaping forward one step at a time. And it means if the wind is in your face, you are down 
as far as you can. It means that when you see that finish line, this is a race, right? This is the metaphor. What do you see at the race? You always see these runners lunging for the end. And that's the picture that he gives us here. Straining forward to what lies ahead. No mind for what's behind. No mind for distractions. I'm not checking who's on my right. I'm not checking who's on my left. I'm focused. Right here. Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. And there's that word press on again, this relentless pursuit. This is the relentless pursuit of the goal. What's the goal in a race? The finish line. That's, that's what you're running to. That's the landmark that you're trying to get to. What's the goal in the Christian life? It's death. The goal in the Christian life is absolutely death. It's death of self. It's death of my flesh. It's death of this life, right? I cannot go to be with the Lord until this body passes away. The goal of Christian life is death. It's death of the kingdom of Satan. It's death of the influence of sin on our lives. It's death of sin in the world around us. We want to see people die to self and be born to Christ. Paul says we must put off the old man and put on the new, brothers and sisters. If you have never received Christ, this is what he's talking about. You must die to self. You know, that's that's one of the big things that keeps people from coming to Christ. They don't want to give up self. The rich young ruler came to Christ. He said, what must I do? What do I need to do? What am I lacking? I've been so good. Jesus says, keep all the law. I've kept them all. It's all right. Forget all that stuff that's behind you. Forget all of it. Leave it behind. Sell it. Give it to the poor. Follow me. And he can't do it. Because he does not want to give up himself. He will not die to self and be born again in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have to be willing to count it all loss. Everything is rubbish compared to the worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Count the cost. If you have never, then ask him to show you. Ask him to show you how worthy Christ is. How glorious he is. Ask him to make him glorious in your heart, in your mind, and in your life, and to save your soul. Paul says he's straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal. Brothers and sisters, that is our life. Every day we have a goal. We're walking forward. What is the goal? It is the end of our life. It is the end of sin. It is the end of self. Right? There's a very tangible thing that we're, we're going till we die. That's why we want to die climbing. That's why that was the introduction that I gave. Right? We want it to be said, we died climbing. We don't want it to be said, well, we died in a pew. We died in our chair. We died sitting. We died relaxing. We, died, we, we had a long life and we did a bunch of stuff, but eh. No, we're going to press on toward the goal. Why? Because there's a prize. There is a prize, and it is Jesus Christ. We press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Jesus Christ. Why do people run? I don't know. 
I really don't. They talk about these things called endorphins and they feel good. I think one time in my life I had that experience. And it wasn't enough to make me go do it again and stick with it. Some people run probably to win. I I was a high school swimmer. I actually didn't enjoy swimming that much, but I was pretty good at it and I liked winning. And so I, I swam. What makes people do it? What makes somebody train with that, that's their life. That's their job. That's their everything. You think about some of these Olympic athletes. They give their everything. They're everything. There's no side job. There's no plan B. They are all in 100%. They're competing for a prize. Brothers and sisters, that is the one thing that will get us to the end of this life. To finish well, to finish climbing, is because we have the prize in mind. And it's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Upward call means the invitation up. That's literally, that's all the word means. It's an invitation up that God would invite us to heaven. We want to finish the Christian life. We want to live well. We want to be sanctified to have assurance within ourselves and within the world around us that we are his, that we've been transformed, that we did not begin in vain. We did not run in vain. How many times do you see the Apostle Paul talk about that? That I have not run in vain, that I have not labored in vain. Do you understand that there are people who profess the name of Jesus Christ? They look like Christians a lot of times. They start off pretty well, but they are not. They do not finish the race. They've begun in vain. You think about the parable of the sower. That seed is cast Some of it falls on the pathway and the birds come and there's no sign of life. Some of it falls in the rocky soil and it springs up quickly. And boy, we would get excited, wouldn't we? We'd bring them in the church, we'd baptize them, we'd we'd put them on five committees, we'd have them teach them Sunday school, we'd make them a deacon, we'd do everything. Because we're so excited. And yet the sun comes and they wither. But we don't remove them from the committees, do we? (laughs) You can't get off of those, you've got to die. Uh... Some of it falls among the thorns, and the thorns of life grow up, and they choke it out, and so it has no fruit. Some falls in the good soil, and it bears fruit. What, 30, 60, 100-fold? We compete for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the prize. The prize is not an escape from hell. The prize is Christ himself. The prize is Christ himself. To see him high and lifted up, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, because he is worthy. He is the prize. He is the goal. He is the one that we're becoming more like. He is the one who puts sin to death and puts death to death and brings life. We, we talked about that, where we read the passage in Ezekiel about taking away the heart of stone and putting in the heart of flesh. It's Christ who does that. If you've done this religion thing for any other prize... You've missed it. If you've given your tithe for anything else, if you've attended your Sunday school for anything else, if 
you've read your Bible for anything other than knowing Christ and his resurrected power, you've missed it. So he says to then to, we need to have the proper mindset. So far, we've, we've seen the reason. The reason that we seek sanctification. We've seen the secret, which is this relentless focus on the end. But we still have to have the mindset. Because if that doesn't change, nothing else will change, right? I know I need to lose weight. I know I need to die. I know all these things. But if I don't change my mindset, all the knowledge means nothing. I know I ought to run. I know I ought to get out every day and, and, and walk this path, and I don't. Because I don't have the right mindset. What does he say here? He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. What way? Everything he's just said. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let those of us who are mature think this way. The mature person will think this way. This is a command. Whenever you see the word let in the Bible, it's not like, oh, allow it. It's, it's just it's difficult to translate these commands from the Greek into English. But it's always a command. He's saying, if you're mature, think this way. And he puts a caveat on it, right? Because not everyone is mature in Christ. But if you are mature in Christ, if you think you are, this is how you need to think. You need to think about Blinders on, forgetting what's behind, pressing on towards the goal. My whole life is about sanctification. It's about becoming more like Christ. If it's not, you're not mature. It's that simple. Which is not, that's not an insult. It's just a state of being. Some people are mature and some people are not. If you have that mindset, you are mature. If you are mature, you have that mindset. If you don't have that mindset, you're not mature. You with me? If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So if you disagree with Paul and you think that your life is supposed to be about anything other than Christ, anything other than becoming more like Christ and obeying God and obeying his word, if you think it's about anything other than reading your Bible and praying and praising him and sharing the gospel with people and growing in grace and being a witness, if you think it's about your family, you're wrong. If you think it's about being a good citizen, you're wrong. If you think it's about being an American, you're wrong. If you think it's about being a good employer or an employee or amassing wealth or leaving an inheritance or my personal happiness or comfort or joy, you're wrong. You're immature. And that's okay. That's not an insult. I, I realize I'm like, my tone is a little aggressive right now. It's, it's okay. It's not what God wants for you, but it's, he's, he's not saying he doesn't love you. He's not saying that he's not going to save you. He's just saying you aren't what you think you are, and you're not what you should be. But guess what? God will correct it. If you're his, he will correct it. He says that here. If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. He'll show you. Right? We, we saw earlier in the passage in Philippians chapter 2, he said, you, know, you need to obey. You need to work out your salvation through fear and trembling because it is God himself who works in you to will and to do. God has to put this will in you, this desire to obey, this desire to be sanctified. So if you disagree with what Paul's saying, he's saying if you're a Christian, God will fix that. It's just a matter of time. You, know, you think about young people and, and they, they have these ideas and they have these notions and they have this foolishness bound up in them. 
But the wise person doesn't just go and, and shake them and go, you don't get it. Right? Because, that, I mean, that's, that's just a waste. And the wise person knows that. The wise person says, they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. You see a, a man say something stupid to his wife. They'll figure it out. I, I, uh, yeah, I won't tell you stupid things I've said. I don't mean like ugly. I just mean stupid. You know, and other people I've, I've found out later, like, yeah, he'll figure that out. Because I'm immature, right? And it's the same thing in the Christian life. If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. If you're his. This is, this is a promise only for those who are saved, though. If you're not saved, there's nothing to figure out. You're never going to grow in Christ. You're never going to desire sanctification. Because to become more like Christ, you have to have a starting place. You have to have Christ. So now it gets scary. Because how many people have zero desire to grow in holiness or to become more like Christ or to obey? How many people, everything about their life is about their desires, their power, their position, their money, their happiness, their everything. They're not willing to obey God's word except for where God's word agrees with their notions. And the God of the Bible is not the God of their heart. The God of their mind. And they're willing to worship this God who lives here or this God who lives here, but they're not willing to worship the God who lives in heaven. And that's a scary place. If you were his, he is going to cause you to think otherwise. You will not be able to carry on in your sin or in your immaturity in Christ. He's not going to leave you alone. He will work in you both to will and to work. Finally, he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us hold the path. Let us hold the race. Let us hold our course. We don't want to deviate. We don't want to stop. We don't want to let go. If you have grasped Christ and you've begun to grow in him, don't stop. Don't let it go. Don't get distracted. Keep the blinders on. Hold true to what you've attained. You've attained Christ. You've attained a course. You've attained the narrow path, the true path of life. Stay on it. Keep climbing. May it be said, whenever the Lord takes you into glory, that he, that she died climbing. There's a poem by Amy Carmichael called Teach Me to Climb. I'm going to read this, and this will close us out. Make us thy mountaineers. We would not linger on the lower slope. Fill us afresh with hope, O God of hope, that undefeated we may climb the hill as seeing him who is invisible. Let us die climbing when this little while lies far behind us, and the last defile is all alight and in that light we see our leader and our Lord, what will it be?